Our text for today comes from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. It's good to have you all here this morning. Uh, We are together, and that's the important thing, right? We get to be together uh, in the building. I know there are a lot of things going on in our world right now, especially kind of COVID-related in our area of the world. And so as uh, just our encouragement to you is to continue to stay safe as best you can and healthy, Uh, but we want to continue to gather together also uh, to be the people of God in this place. Um, And so whoever can make it is invited. Uh, Whoever wants to join us online, we're thrilled beyond measure that you join us online, for those who join us online as well. And it's a good thing. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, this first part of this message might be a little bit of a rehash for you. We've been in a series we're calling A Visible Kingdom. This series is all about what it looks like to be the church in the world, the way that we make the kingdom of God visible by being God's people, his church. And, uh, and last week, we talked through 1 Corinthians 12. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's kind of a famous passage, but in that passage, Paul likens the church to a physical body. He says that each member of the body is like a each member of the church is like a different member of the body, a different part of a human body. He, might, he says some people might be a foot, or another person might be a hand, one person might be an eye, another person might be an ear. And he uses this analogy to make the point that though each person, each individual in the church is uh, unique and different unto themselves, they all have a part to play in the larger body, and that without each unique gift, without each unique pers- person, without each unique perspective, the church as a whole is held back. Is, is, in some, is in some way hindered, actually, is what he says to the Corinthian church. And using that analogy, we applied it to Grace Community Church here, and we, we talked about how each one of you, each individual the, who calls Grace Community Church your home, has a role to play in this place. And that in order for the church to be everything that we want it to be, every person needs to step into their God-ordained purpose in this church, their role that they have been specifically empowered to play in the church. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this message the last week. Sometimes these messages stick with me. Other times uh, I lose them like I was cramming for a test. But uh, So don't feel bad if you don't remember two weeks ago. Uh, But uh, as I was revisiting last week's message over and over, I began to uh, have a thought A kind of strange thought, and it might sound strange to you. That thought is that that teaching from last week was incredibly difficult. It's it's an incredibly difficult teaching to actually enact, to actually put into practice. You know, it's really difficult to be a unified group of people who live in community and share our gifts with one another. That's not an easy thing. That's not something that in our culture is even a a particularly common thing. To be honest with you, in our day, it's, it's not something that people put into practice at church. Church tends to be someplace they, a place that we attend more than a people we belong to. And, and so within, the, within our culture, it's a kind of radical teaching 
that we in some sense belong to one another in the same way that the different parts of your body belong to the whole of your body. But what's even more startling to me when I reflected on this is just how startling it is that Paul gave this teaching to the Corinthian church, this horribly dysfunctional church who was in no way, shape, or form living up to the picture that Paul outlined in 1 Corinthians 12. They were so far from the ideal, they were so far from the picture that that Paul was laying out that it's really comical that Paul was even writing to them to think that they could kind of get their act together. And as I reflected on this, I kind of asked this question, how in the world could Paul have actually believed that what he was saying was true, given the state of the Corinthian church? How come he had any hope at all that this church was going to be able to change? Why did he think that? And then I realized Paul believed what he was saying was possible, but he did not believe that it was because the Corinthians were a really great group of people. He did not believe that they were a bunch of smart, gifted, responsible people who just needed to be pointed in the right direction, and then they were going to do all of the right things. Though that's what I think of all of you, just for the record. That that might sound a little silly, but it's true. Paul believed that the Corinthian church could change, not because of any of those things. Rather, Paul believed that the church of Corinth could change because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. This is why. This is the bedrock of Paul's belief. And that sounds silly. It almost sounds like a non sequitur, like Jesus is raised from the dead, thus you can get your life together. But this was foundational to Paul's ministry in his message. The only reason Paul was, a po- was an apostle was because he believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. The, uh, the reason that Paul believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the king, was because he was raised from the dead. And you realize when you read Paul's letters that he believed that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the foundational event of all of human history. And it transformed the world from that point forward. And so in Paul's mind, if God in Christ was able to defeat death, well, then everything else was on the table. And and there was a kind of whole new kingdom, a new world of possibilities that had been opened up into this human story that we're all living You see, for the Apostle Paul, the resurrection of Jesus was the definitive event of of our long human history, and it transformed everything, and everything hung on it. Everything hinged on it. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 20, he makes this point very, very clear when he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as Adam, for in Adam all died, so in Christ all have been made alive. Essentially, here's what he's saying. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, well, we can all take our ball and go home, right? 
You see, if you were going to distill Paul's life and his ministry and his message down to a kind of simple mathematic equation, here's what I think it would be. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. Resurrection equals anything is possible. I think that's what he's, I think that's what he's saying, both to the church and throughout many of his letters. Corinthian church, you are a bunch of disorderly and drunken sinners. Not you, them, right? At least I hope not right now, right? Guess what? Christ has been raised from the dead, and so you can be a healthy church. This is what he's saying. Paul has the fundamental belief that resurrection power makes anything possible. And this is good news. This is good news. It's good news for us as well it was, as well it was also good news for them. And the reason the resurrection of Jesus is pure and simple, good news, is that it doesn't depend on us. The resurrection of Jesus is not dependent on anything you have done or will do, right? It's simply been done. It doesn't depend on you. Paul says in a, in, to the Philippian church, in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who does it. You see, my flaws, my sin, my lack of self-awareness are not a hindrance to what God wants to do in my life or in the life of the people around me. Thank God, right? Because before I was ever alive, Revelation 13 tells us before the foundations of the world, God in Christ was moving towards us. And the resurrection is like God's big stamp of approval on the whole project, on the whole darn thing. And Paul believes this. He believes it down in the marrow of his bones, that something changed when the resurrection occurred. And so he says to the Corinthian church, the same thing he says to us, you can be healthy. You can thrive. You can be all that God has created you to be. You know, he says this exact same thing in a different way to another ancient church in the city of Colossae. In the book of Colossians, he says this in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He says, in essence, You're a resurrection people. Christ has been raised, and you have been raised with him, so set your mind on things above. Lift your eyes. And so, again, if you were going to describe to someone what the church is, what the church, this grouping of people we call the church, is, I would think one of the best ways to describe what the church is is simply to say the church is a resurrection community. It's a resurrection community. A gathering of people made possible and empowered by the resurrection of Jesus. If not for the resurrection of Jesus, we should all take our balls and go home. It's windy, right? Why brave the wind? 
Just stay at home. And so today, what I want to do is talk a little bit about what I think it means to be a resurrection community. A church that is a kind of resurrection community in the world. And what it means to be a church that is centered on, informed by, this reality of the resurrection. Sound good? Sound good? All right, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. You're a little sleepy this morning. Now, this week I was reminded of a tagline that I ran across uh, from a church that I follow. And here's the tagline that they use. It's kind of on the front page of their website and such. It says this, everyone is welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything is possible. I like that. It's a good tagline, isn't it? It's a powerful little mission statement that I think, uh, but I think those three lines do an incredible job of summing up for us what it might mean to be a resurrection community. What, what identifies or what are the hallmarks of a community of resurrection people gathered together? And so what I want to do this morning is just work through those three little phrases. Everyone is welcome, nobody is perfect, and anything is possible. All right? We're just going to work through those things. So first, everyone is welcome. I would translate that little phrase this way. The church is a resurrection community because it is a place where everyone is welcomed into the family of God. There is this really fascinating story in the Bible. It's in a very short little book we call Philemon, but if you're British, you call Philemon. Uh, I like the British pronunciation more, and I'm probably going to get them mixed up a couple times this morning because I said that, so don't worry about it. But in the book of Philemon, Paul is writing to Philemon, right? There you go. Paul is writing to Philemon, and he is writing to him primarily because someone has been staying with Paul. The person who's been staying with Paul and taking care of his needs is a person named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a slave— a doulos, a slave, or a servant of Philemon. And so Paul is writing to Philemon, saying to him, I am now sending Onesimus back to you, but as I send him back to you, I send him back to you no longer as a slave, but as a brother. So when you send him to me, you, you put him on orders and you were in control of his life because he was your servant or your slave, and you sent him to me. But I'm sending him back to you, and what I'm saying is that he's no longer your slave. He's your brother. Here's, what he, here's exactly what Paul says in Philemon, uh, Philemon uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. He says this, So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as if you would welcome me. Right? If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Fascinating, isn't it? Onesimus left Philemon, apparently, as a kind of useless slave. That's how he left. But Paul intentionally calls Onesimus useful. He says he was useful to me. And he urges not just Philemon, but his household and most likely his church, the church that met in his household, that in light of Christ, in light of the resurrection, to welcome him back, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as an equal, as a brother. You see, the church as a resurrection community is a place where everyone is welcomed to be a part of the family. Everyone. And no one, no matter what uh, we have done, 
no, ma- no, matter, no matter where we fall on the socioeconomic spectrum, no matter what we've done to exclude ourselves from community, we're all welcome. From the lowliest and the most detestable to the most empower- important and powerful, within the resurrection community of Jesus, we call the church, everyone is welcome and everyone is equal. So I want to just say outright this morning, no matter who you are, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. No matter what you've done, you're welcome here. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And everything is different. And everyone is welcome. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Once you've been welcomed into the family, something else happens as well. Which leads us to this next little phrase. Nobody's perfect. In the church, nobody's perfect. Here's how I would translate it for you. The church is a resurrection community because it's a place where we can be honest about our brokenness and our shame. You know, I think that shame is the greatest power I know of that keeps people separate from each other and separated from God. Shame is like this big brick wall that stands between me and other people. And shame will eat us alive if we let it. You know, in recovery movements, it's popular to say that you are only as sick as your secrets. And I, and I think that is true. I think that's true. For most of us, the thing that keeps us trapped in sin and that keeps us bound up in our dysfunction is not the fact that we don't want to change, right? It's that we keep ourselves walled off from other people because of shame. And we don't live in the light and in the truth of who we are And the fact that we are not perfect. We are, in fact, imperfect. We have this fear of being found out, don't we? Everybody's felt that deep fear of being found out. For me, one of the first times that I ever experienced it was when I got my report card before my parents got it in the mail. And I knew what grades I got. And I knew what they were going to see in a few weeks. And I knew I had to get to the mail before they did. (laughs) There's this fear of being found out, isn't there? And if we live out of that place of fear, we'll never discover who we are or the potential that we have. But in contrast to to that, the church is meant to be a place where we step out of shame and out of secrecy and into the light of truth because we affirm the central Christian teaching that all have sinned and all fall short. Central to the Christian faith, isn't it? One of uh, the best writers ever, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, a British um, guy named G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. He says, according to modern critics, it is morbid to confess your sins. I should say that the morbid thing is not to confess them. The morbid thing is to conceal your sins and let them eat your heart out, which is the happy state of most people in our highly civilized communities. I would tend to agree with Chesterton. The, <laughs> the happy state of most people in our highly civilized, very happy communities is that we hide our sins. We don't confess them. And we allow them to eat us from the inside out. 
We live in a world that is morbid, exactly like Chesterton describes. Maybe now more so than ever, because I can live a whole life on my cell phone, can't I? I can live a whole digital life apart from other flesh and blood people. I can live a kind of secret life in a digitized world. You can, you can be sitting across from somebody physically in a room and be on your phone and be in a totally different space, can't you? You can be totally removed from the people who actually are flesh and blood in your very presence. And you can hide who you are from those people by simply being on your phone. But the church, as a resurrection community, is called to be a kind of antidote to the shame that dominates the life of most human people. To to the hiddenness that dominates most human lives. You see, fear keeps us in our shame. But light comes pouring in when we know that we are among a community who sin just like we do. And we are empowered to live freely. We're empowered to live honestly with others because we know that Jesus died for our sins. But also that he was resurrected proving that there is no sin so great that Christ cannot overcome it. You see, because of the resurrection, we are invited into the light. We are invited to live honestly in the community of resurrection people and to allow Jesus to clean us up. In church, this should not be a place for only holy people. Only people who have reached a kind of sinless perfection, right? Because then there would be no people here. It's actually the exact opposite of that. Nobody's perfect, and the church, above any other place on the whole planet, is where we should not have to live as though we were. It's the place where you can come in and say, I'm depressed. And someone says, yeah, me too, right? It's a place where we should live and and someone says, look, I'm drinking too much and the problem is out of hand. And someone says, me too, or I can help with that. The church is a place where somebody can say, I'm having marriage problems. And then every other person in the room who has ever been married says, yes, yes, I know, right? It's a place where you can say, I'm lonely, or I'm tired, or I ran my credit card bill up too much, and I'm over my head, or I have a gambling problem, or my house is about to get foreclosed on, or I yelled at my kids, or I made a mess of things. And everyone just goes, yes, I know, me too. But here's the good news. Me too is not the end of the conversation. It is the first step towards freedom made possible by the resurrection as we acknowledge our brokenness and take concrete steps towards the promise held out for us in Jesus. In theological terms, this is what we call repentance, right? To repent is to honestly acknowledge our sin before God and others and then to turn towards the hope that is held out for us in Jesus Christ. This is what repentance is. And this is why it's so important. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. 
And because of the resurrection, your brokenness, your shame, don't get to have the last word in your life. They just don't. Which would lead us to the last point for this morning, the last uh, little phrase, which is anything is possible. The church is a resurrection community, to bring it full circle this morning. The church is a resurrection community because the resurrection equals anything is possible. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that there is a power greater than your dysfunction that is at work in the world, if the band could come up. And the church as a resurrection community, is called to be a place where that power is put on display in the lives of God's people. Right? And so here's a good question that I think we should all ask ourselves this morning. Where do you need God to show up in your life? Where where do you want God to show up in your life? Here's, I'll put it another way. Where do you need to see a little resurrection power this morning? What aspect of your existence needs to be shot through with a little bit of the power that raised Jesus from the dead? You know, one of the lies of the enemy that we so often believe is that we are never going to change. That we're never going to change. That there's just simply no possibility and no hope of transformation. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, if that's true, if if God actually did that, then there is no reason not to have hope. None. And a whole new world. And I mean that. A, A whole new world of possibilities stands open before us. God's new world has been unveiled in the resurrection of Jesus. And you and I are invited to belong to it. And so this morning, as we close, I just want us to do one thing together. Would you stand with me this morning as we conclude? And just wherever you're at, right? In the quietness of your heart where you're at. Would you just ask yourself that very question? Where in my life do I need to see a little resurrection power? Where in my life do I need to have a little infusion of the new world made available to me at the resurrection of Jesus to kind of seep into my own life? In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to let the band sing through this song one more time. And we're just going to ask God together. Would would that power, would that authority that raised Jesus from, from the dead become operative in that part of my life? That area of my life where I need to see a breakthrough or I need to see change or I need to see something of substance happen. Would, resurre- would the resurrection of Jesus find its center in that place and would I in that area be resurrected myself all right all right let's pray father we love you and we hold tight this morning to the resurrection 
And we believe, we believe that if Jesus was resurrected from the dead, anything is possible. And so I pray for my friends right now. And that area of their life that they have identified this morning, where they need to see, maybe they need to have a breakthrough in their finances. Maybe they need to have a breakthrough in that relationship. Maybe they have some controlling sin, God, that they they have been attempting to work through, but just can't seem to work through. God, would we, would they see a, a resurrection type power take up residence in that place today? Would they come to experience the power of Jesus and his resurrection, knowing that we have been raised with Christ, we have been seated with him in the heavenly places? And now, because of that reality, we can have life. We can have freedom. God, would you make us a resurrection people this morning? A resurrection people. Amen. And amen. Amen. I just want to sing this song through one time with us uh, together. I think sometimes uh, we move too quickly past moments like this, and God wants to continue to work on our hearts this morning. So would you join me as we sing together, and then we'll conclude in a moment.